0: not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin.
1: This is Dr. Dan. The untimely passing of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia has thrust the Supreme Court into the forefront of this year's presidential politics. From a historical perspective, it would seem as if the court's chronicle consists of years of hibernation with sudden outbursts of activity during which the justices make numerous decisions that are devoid of any semblance of constitutionality. Most of the time, the Supreme Court barely registers a mild tremor on the Richter scale of public opinion. For the past several decades, however, the impact of its decisions has reached volcanic proportions. The Supreme Court's constitutional authority most assuredly does not include acting in lieu of Congress and the executive branch or substituting a modern interpretation for the words of our founders. The progressive left preaches that the Constitution is a living document that can be modernized at will, since adhering to the Constitution prohibits most of their agenda Their obsession with changing or ignoring its clearly written law is not at all surprising. In the mind of the constitutional purist, however, the Supreme Court does not actually have the authority to interpret the Constitution. In fact, only the states have the legal authority under constitutional law to determine what actions of the federal government are constitutional and which are not. The sovereign states retained three powers to fight the usurpation of authority by the federal government, nullification, interposition, and secession. The validity of each of these remedies was fully accepted by the framers. The Constitution is a contract among the states and their sovereign citizens that created a limited central government with limited powers. Such a contract cannot be unilaterally altered at the whim of one of the parties, and certainly not by decree made by the creation of the contract. Our inattention during the periods of Supreme Court hibernation has allowed the progressive left to silently pack the court with justices who believe that ideology trumps law. As a result, the highest court in our nation has become a third part of the legislative branch in which justices are chosen based Only on their ideological leanings, not their judicial honesty. By that protocol, the biggest prize for executive and legislative branch winners in this year's federal elections will be to choose enough Supreme Court justices and federal court justices to control the philosophical inclination of the nation's judicial system for several generations. In essence, your vote will determine... If we continue our slide into the abyss of statist tyranny, or we have a small chance to reverse that trend and turn back towards the constitutional republic we were given 230 years ago. Here, with his perspective on the political implications of the Supreme Court vacancy created by Judge Scalia's death, is constitutional conservative activist Mike Lyons, Mike, you've been a guest before on Freedom Forum Radio, and we are delighted to welcome, welcome you back.
2: Oh, Thank you very much, Dr. Dan. It's a, always a delight. Um, your perspectives and your carrying of this torch is, um, I think, a necessary part of our society and our local culture. So thank you for maintaining that.
1: Well, Michael, let's start right off. Let's talk about how the media is framing this discussion about our current Supreme Court issues.
2: Well, thank you. Um, You know, uh, we previously mentioned this, and I think this is why you wanted to have me on, how the media has actually drawn a narrative around the Republican Party and around conservative America. And, but it's been, it's been allowed to do so because I felt, and I feel, that over the last several years, and over the last three years especially, uh, that the media has taken a hold of our congressional leaders and just carried them around by their tail. The the House Speaker Boehner um, and, you know, then Minority and now Majority Leader McConnell they've pretty much played ball with the media and whatever terminology or vernacular they've come up with, they've really just played victim to that. It's like, oh, how how could they, how dare they? And just, you know, made us, got us riled up, got our fervor up because we were being victimized, when in reality it was their role to lead them, to lead us and to shove the media around and say, no, this is our job. And uh, I made a video online about this, but it's still in publication, I mean, in production, um... But uh, this, Dr. Dan, if I may go back a couple of years, began in 2013 when the um, media told everyone in America that we shut down the government. And it's important, I think, for all constitutionalists in the 11th District, in these mountains, and across this country, to remember that our House had passed the bills necessary uh for our government to operate and those bills and those paychecks step on Harry Reid's desk. People today, you know, three years later have already forgotten that. And it's it's a shame. And it's really a scam being perpetrated by the media against us, against all of America and particularly our neighbors who have no other news. And so that point in time has been drawn up until today, up to today to create a Um, a narrative, create a framed narrative that says Republicans are bad for our country. And it fuels the next generation of Democrats into thinking that they have to stand up against us. And so today we have the SCOTUS discussion, and it is... See, this is where, Dr. Dan, you and I were going to... I think think I'd love to get more of your perspective on this and hear more of the argument. Um, Because you, I think, agree very heavily with the current, you know, the current perspective that we need to hold a line and not allow any nomination. Maybe I don't mean to speak for you, but my my thought is, is that if Obama wants to put forward a uh, SCOTUS nominee, that the uh, Senate can at least discuss it. And if the media wants to say, "Oh, we're going to vote no because he's this, or we're going to vote no because he's that." then that's where Mitch McCall or one of the other leaders, Grassley or one of the others, can say, you know what? We've looked at him over. He's got some crazy views on gun control. You know, he has no respect to the Second Amendment, and we can't pass him. You know, that is, that is something that's completely within the rights of our Senate, especially that committee, the Judicial Committee. But it requires, you know, a, a level of control over the media, a sense of, like, can we tell them, what the truth of the matter is and like make it stick and uh, that's what i think a lot of people are stuck on
1: well you know this you've raised really probably the, the key point here uh, the key point is we need to have a public discussion about the role of the supreme court uh, that really is is really the foundation of of your point and my point and i agree with you there is absolutely no way that we should uh, approve any anyone that President Obama puts forward. Number one, and and, prob- and most importantly, because he is choosing his his Supreme Court uh, nominee based upon their legal ideology, uh, and that. Is not the correct, that is not the correct reason that people should be on the Supreme no. Court. That's and that's when I true. when I say discuss, discuss the role of the Supreme Court, that's exactly no. what I'm talking about. The role of the Supreme Court is not to make law. It is not to legislate. It is not to go ahead and say, well, the, the, the Congress hasn't done it, the executive branch hasn't done it, so we're going to do it, or we're going to do what we think is right. And so what it now comes down to, is that all of these nominees, whether it's from a Republican president or a Democrat president, they all are nominated because they will advance the agenda of the nominating party. So what that has made, it's made the Supreme Court just another branch of the legislature, and worse... They're not even under our control. So it's, it's taxation without representation or, or legislation without representation, I guess, is a better word. Uh, and that's, that's really what the issue is. Legislation without representation uh, is what the Supreme Court is involved in. That's what this whole Fuhrer is all about. I don't care whether he nominates it a month before he leaves office or four years before he leaves office we should not be approving any of these people who cannot, who cannot obey the Constitution, who cannot read the Constitution. The Constitution is very clear. It's written in simple English. Get a dictionary from the 1700s if you're not sure of any words. But that document is not ambiguous.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree, Dr. Dan, and there's a lot that's been said about how our chief justices, and in fact all of our justices, are unfortunately pitted are pitted in this partisan environment. And we all think that when they go to Congress, that will read, um, you know, they'll read it in our favor or this favor or that favor or this special interest or that special interest. And you know, justices, when you talk to them, like to the to the judges and the and, um, the court people, they'll tell you that a good one will tell you it's not about partisan politics. It's about reading the Constitution, interpreting it, you know, for the spirit and letter of the law, and bringing it. Um, but, well, more the letter, but there is spirit to the law as well, and that's something that the you know Scalia was actually very good at. He knew this; he read the Founders' material, he knew where they were coming from, and so he was like, I think he called himself an originalist, and um, that was, uh, I'm not getting that wrong. But it was he was a fantastic judge, of course, and I want to make sure that. Whenever we whoever we put in there this year and next, that the person is not going to be doing just playing up to party politics. The you know the one thing I'll be curious about is you know this Garland fellow who's just come out today. Um, is he someone that could be could work without party politics? I don't know, and unfortunately I don't know if we'll ever find out. But. Um, I will say also that uh, this idea, what you originally said about um, the right of states to tell whether or not a law is pursuant to the Constitution, is a huge part of this whole discussion. And I've asked people about this as well. And you asked me for my opinion on the matter, and this is a big part of it, because the chief justices of the Supreme Court are meant to aid and support the chief justices in the courts below and give further interpretation because of their sound experience and, you know, dealings with the Constitution. But they're not meant to write law. They're not meant to say, well, this law actually means this, and, um, and they're not meant to, like, rewrite them and clarify them more. They're saying whether or not the law means this or it doesn't. And it's, it's a very fine line they walk between activist judges sometimes constitutional judges, but... Um, I really hope that whatever we do, and with this seat, that we make sure that people realize that there is a a kind of a perspective that's being shoved on us all, and that is this partisan politics you talk about. And if we don't expect that and expect good work out of the Judiciary Committee and the rest of the Senate, then um, you know, even if the Republican candidate gets in there in January, or and we get our own nominee, they the party pol the party policy, the partisan politics could actually be a card played against us. I and mean, to me, that is why like the the Judiciary Committee and the Senate vote is so important. Is because by having a discussion, by screening this person and saying, is this person an originalist it is this person, someone that won't tear down Scalia's, you know, legacy. You know that is someone that we can all get behind because Scalia, you know, was a backbone to our Supreme Court. And I hope your vote viewers know that or listeners know that because uh, he was truly the conservative, uh, you know, father to a lot of the justices. You know, they looked to Scalia for his take on the on the founders' perspective. And that is an important role to replace. There's a big shoes
1: to fill. Well, you know, uh, so so are you are you proposing then that the that now that uh, that Obama has put forward a nominee, it would be then your position that the Republican-controlled Senate should go through the normal procedures and and presumably find his um his nominee not to conform to the standards of uh, being able to read the Constitution and obey it to as it was written rather than interpreting it according to his political agenda.
2: Well yes, it is um, but there's an important part is that if we do not look to our own weakness. And try to um, fix that. And that is leadership. That if Grassley, if Mitch McConnell, if Paul Ryan, if the people who are in front of the cameras can't tell the rest of America what their job is, and remind them with every interview that this is not a political thing, that this is process, that this is procedure, and we have the authority granted to them by the Constitution to say no. And if they say no, by gosh, then that's their, that's their responsibility and that's their duty. Um, and we, the, we, can, we, have, we can stand by them with that. We can say, you know what, that's their job. They said no, they, just, they found him inadequate, they said no, get over it, you know. But until then, this idea of being an obstructionist or being someone who's just, you know, I know that the, the Democrats have done it to us like three or four times in recent history. But I'm not one, Dr. Dan, to say, eye for an eye. You know, there's a point where, like, I'm happy to say because I'm a Republican, because I believe in the Republic and the Constitution, that the process protects itself, if only it's utilized properly.
1: Well, that's,
2: so that's how I stand on it. But I don't want to with me. You're,
1: well, you're absolutely right, I mean, uh, Mike, because uh, what we're seeing is the inability or unwillingness of the conservative leadership to stand up and be heard in such a way that they explain the true facts to the people of the nation that has been the failure of the of congress for the last really the last six years for uh, certainly the last four years Mm -hmm. we've had republican congresses but their leadership Number one, the leadership has betrayed the true conservative cause. But number two, regardless of what cause they are supporting, they have not been able to articulate to the American people exactly why what they believe is the, is, uh, the, the type of belief that they, they should listen to. They, they cannot explain the facts and the logic of their yeah. decisions.
2: And that's that right there is basically to me like whenever someone applies themselves to be speaker of the house or to be majority leader, that quality of character trait, I think that'll be you know one of the primary, you know, uh, go-to points in their in their argument or in their you know in their um, nomination speech. Can this person control the TV camera? Can this person? educate america because that's their job you know it can all the representatives up there I, mean, I don't know if they have a um <laughs> a uh, person that comes by the republican caucuses and goes hey have you had your time training in front of the tv i hope that they all do have someone like in you know, each of their you know campaigns or each of their offices that provides those speeches for them and helps them with that but to me it sounds like they're really falling short or they have fallen short a whole lot over the last
0: several years
1: Waters and people, I just love to hear that old man sing. Yeah, when I play the Hoochie Coochie Man, I get joy in everything,
0: everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning <laughs>